Welcome to Following the Word, the preaching ministry of Glenn LaRue, pastor of University Baptist Church in Middletown, Ohio. Today's sermon is part two in a series entitled Instructions for a Healthy Home. We pray you are blessed and edified as you listen. The most important statement in the Bible about marriage is found in Ephesians 5.32. So I'm going to read the passage that that is contained in, Ephesians 5.31-33. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, verse 32 is the verse that I'm saying is the most important verse on marriage in the Bible. I would actually extend that to say it's the most important statement on marriage in world history. Verse 32 says, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, in verse 31 there. Paul is quoting from Genesis 2, where we see the institution of marriage established. Of course, in that passage in Genesis 2, God brings Adam and Eve together as husband and wife. And that story concludes in Genesis 2.24 with a declaration concerning all marriage for all time. And it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother And hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's a direct quote. Now, certain things about that declaration over marriage have been obvious and clear since Genesis 2. I'll give you three. One obvious thing about marriage is that marriage requires a man and a woman. If you don't have that, you cannot have marriage. Another thing that's very clear from Genesis 2.24 is that marriage creates a new home with new responsibilities. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Another thing that's clear there is that marriage unites two people in a profound way that bonds them together in God's sight for the rest of their lives. They become one flesh. Now, there's a mystery to the one flesh union, but we can see very clearly that in God's sight, the husband and wife are bound together. And so those things have been clear since Genesis 2 was written. But there is something that was not obvious when God instituted marriage, and yet it's the most important thing. It's something that was hidden back then because it was not revealed yet. There was a great purpose behind the institution of marriage that the world could not understand until the full plan of redemption had unfolded. It was a mystery. It was a mystery that God would reveal at the proper time. That great mysterious purpose is that marriage is ultimately about the relationship between Christ and his church. Think about what Paul is claiming in verse 32. He says, this mystery is profound. It's something that has been hidden, and now I'm going to drop it on you. 
This mystery, that's what a mystery is in the New Testament when Paul says this was a mystery. It's something that was hidden in the past. Now it's being revealed. This mystery is profound. Uh, Yeah, what you're saying applies to every marriage that's ever happened in world history. And every nation and every culture in world history has had marriage. And then he slows down. He says, I am saying. It's like him making sure We read his lips. Get this clearly. Don't misunderstand. I am saying that it, marriage, the institution of marriage, the massive society building uh, institution that is worldwide and has been around since the beginning, refers to Christ and the church. This is a massive statement. Marriage for all time has really always been about the gospel. Marriage is really about God's plan to redeem a people for himself through the sacrificial work of his son on the cross and then the eternal joyful union that would result from it. That's what marriage is really about. I want you to just think about how prophetic Genesis 2.24 is. A man shall leave his father and mother. There's prophecy in that. In the gospel, the son of God left his heavenly home on a mission from his father to go win for himself his bride. A man shall leave his father. And in the gospel, Jesus Christ holds fast to his bride. He has claimed for himself a wife the church, and he is absolutely committed to her forever. He holds fast to his bride. And in the gospel, the two shall become one flesh. Jesus Christ has bound himself to his bride such that the church can be called the body of Christ. He is the head of the church. She is his body There is a permanent connection. We are one flesh with Christ. So Genesis 2.24, which is quoted in Ephesians 5.31, is an incredibly prophetic statement to the world, not just about how marriage functions between a man and a woman, but about the gospel. It is prophetic. And it's all the more incredible when you consider that marriage was instituted before the fall of mankind into sin. God wove this prophetic statement in Genesis 22, I mean Genesis 2, 24, before Genesis 3, when the fall happened. And so before there was even a need for the gospel, God gave the world a prophetic picture of what was going to take place. It's as though God wanted us to be able to see That sin never took him off guard. It's always been the plan for the world that the crucified, risen Christ would redeem for himself his bride. He said it before we even needed it. He, He made that statement on marriage that Paul says refers to Christ and the church before sin ever happened. It's an incredible prophecy, Genesis Genesis 2.24. Now, I want you to just think about the magnitude 
of what this means for our earthly marriages to our earthly spouses. By the way, anytime I say spouses, I always want the plural of spouse to be spice. And so if I do that, it's because I do that in my own just casual thinking and conversation. But I know technically it's spouses. But shouldn't it be spice? (laughs) Marriage is the spice of life. And so I think that should work. So think about what this means for marriages. On the one hand, it means that every earthly marriage, every one of them, has the capacity to glorify Christ and magnify the gospel. How? In how the husband and wife relate to one another. There is an opportunity to glorify Christ and magnify the gospel. As human beings created in the image of God, our great purpose is to glorify God by reflecting his character and representing his rule. That's your purpose for existing, is to glorify God. Two people in marriage can do this in a unique way to the degree that they mirror the roles of Christ and the church in the gospel. So there's an opportunity in marriage to fulfill your very purpose for existing. Now, it's not the only opportunity to fulfill your purpose of glorifying God, but it is a unique opportunity to do that. If you have a marriage in which the husband acts like Jesus toward his bride... And if you, if you have a marriage where the wife acts like the church should act toward Christ, then you have a marriage that is pointing to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And in that way, it is glorifying God. I mean, what a lofty reason for you to want your marriage to be healthy and happy. Glorifying God is at stake. You have the opportunity to do that. Glorifying God is the loftiest of all motivations. Your home can glorify God in how your marriage works. I mean, nothing else could be more fulfilling for your marriage because nothing else matches your very purpose for existing. If you want to be fulfilled in life, You have to live out your purpose. Would you agree with that statement? If you want to be fulfilled, you have to live out your purpose. Well, if you want to live out your purpose, you must glorify God because that's your purpose. And if you want to glorify God with your marriage, you must reflect the roles of Christ and the church in the gospel. And in doing that, You will point anyone and everyone to the gospel and in doing so, glorifying God, in doing so, fulfilling your purpose, in doing so, feeling fulfilled in your life. It's the loftiest thing. See, the healthiest, happiest situation for your home is for your home to reflect and glorify the gospel. Think about the gospel the perfect Savior, Jesus Christ, and a church that responds to him and comes to him. Of course, we don't do that perfectly until glory. 
but there's an ideal there for how the church should respond. What could be a healthier, happier situation among all relationships than Christ lovingly being the Savior of his people and his people joyfully responding to their Savior? It's the healthiest situation, and it's the happiest situation. Do you want a healthy, happy home? You need to reflect that. You need to reflect that. This is a monumental thought that marriage refers to Christ and the church. So on the one hand, what this means for earthly marriages is that every earthly marriage can glorify God in a unique way. Now, on the other hand, there's another good thought that we can add to this. It means that every earthly marriage has a model to follow. Every earthly marriage has a picture of what it's supposed to look like. A heavenly pattern for how the roles of husband and wife are to work. So it's not just that your marriage can point to Christ in the gospel. It's also that Christ in the gospel can point to your marriage. It goes both ways. The roles of Christ and his bride in the gospel can point your marriage in the right direction. This is why Paul comes back there in verse 33, and he says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. He encapsulates both roles there in that final statement. And really what he's doing is he's coming back to something he's been talking about since verse 22. I only have verses 31 through 33 on the screen, but Paul has really been on this principle that marriage and the gospel are connected in their significance. And he's been giving instructions to wives and husbands on the basis of the fact that marriage is a reflection of the gospel. And so instead of him saying, well, you know what? There's a great mysterious purpose of marriage that's Christ in the church, and therefore what you do in your home doesn't really matter because that's not the main point. No, no, no. It's exactly the opposite. He says, what you do really, really, really matters in your home because it has the gospel and everything we're saying about Christ and the church and God himself at stake in it. And so, husbands, you need to love your wives And wives, you need to respect your husbands. And you see there how he concludes that. It's very similar, that final statement, to what we saw in Colossians last week. Husbands, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Agape love right there. We get that from Christ and how he loves his church. Wives, let each of you see that she respects her husband. Where do we get that idea from? It comes from how the bride, the church, should respond to Christ. And this is really what we were seeing last week in Colossians 3, 18 and 19, though the gospel and all the significance of the gospel was not in that passage, at least explicitly in those two verses. And so let's go back real quick and look at Colossians 3, 18 and 19 and see what a direct connection there is here. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Same command as we're going to see in Ephesians 
And then also, husbands, love your wives, agape love. Do not be harsh with them. And we noted how these verses in Colossians are very simple and straightforward. And so last week, we just took that simple, straightforward, singular approach to these commands. Wives, if we had to boil your one big responsibility in your marriage down to one big thing that you need to take away is this, submit to your husband. That's what we did last week. It doesn't mean, wives, by the way, that you're not expected to love your husband. But the Bible, I think, expects the tender-hearted love of a woman to come more naturally than submission. And so the key command to the woman is not to love her husband. That's what she does most naturally. The key command is that she submit to her husband. And then husbands, if we had to boil down your one big responsibility in marriage to one thing, it's this. Love your wives. It doesn't mean that you're not expected to lead your wives and provide authority to your wife. But I think the Bible expects the leadership impulse of a man to come more naturally than tender-hearted loving kindness. And so it says to the men, the hard thing, love your wife. I actually have a quote on this. I found this in a footnote in Calvin's commentary, and I thought this was really good. The guy who wrote it is, is a guy named Edie. It's just 500 years ago. The woman loves in deep, undying sympathy. But to teach her how this fondness should know and fill its appropriate sphere, she is commanded to obey and honor, submit. The man, on the other hand, feels that his position is to govern. But to show him what should be the essence and means of his government, he is enjoined to love. What he's wrestling there is, with the fact that we each get one specific boil it all down to one thing command. And he says, well, women love their husbands, but that comes more naturally. And they need to be told, submit to your husband. And women, I bet if I went around asking you, which is easier for you, loving your husband with a big heart or submitting to your husband? You would probably all say, loving my husband comes more naturally. And then men, he says, here has that impulse to govern, to lead, to take command, to, to, to you know, study the ship and do all those things. And so he says here, it's not that men aren't supposed to lead, but really the thing men need to hear is to be gentle and tender and caring, right? And I bet if I went around and I asked a lot of the men in this church, a lot of you would say, yeah, I, I tend to be just a, you know, down-to-business kind of person, and I've got to always remember to, to love in the right way, right? And so God's Word is very wise. But now here's my question, and it's going to take us back to Ephesians for the rest of our time. That's the bare bones. Wives submit, husbands love. Can we put some flesh on the bones, to help us have a more beautiful, complete picture of our marriage instructions from God's word. And we've just got these two bare bones instructions. Can we put some flesh on it? I actually had a church member last night ask me at the PAA performance, Pastor Glenn, but what does submission look like? 
It was a wife in our church. And I said, well, I'm going to talk more about this tomorrow. Because the answer to this question is yes. We can put some flesh on the bones to help us have a more beautiful, complete picture of the marriage instructions. You know, Eve was taken from the rib of Adam. But God didn't just give Adam a bare rib. He also put flesh on that bone so Adam could see the beauty of what God was giving him. In the same way, God doesn't just give us the bare bones instructions of submission and love in his word. God has put flesh on these bones to show us the beauty of what we've been given. Now, you might say, how has God done this? What is the flesh that goes on the bone of these instructions? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. Because marriage is about the gospel. The relationship between Christ and the church gives us the most beautiful, detailed picture of how roles in marriage are supposed to work out. It's the gospel that shows us all the beautiful dimensions of submission. And it's the gospel that shows us all the beautiful dimensions of loving headship. See, the gospel is the flesh that fills in the picture for us. And this is where we come back to Ephesians 5, and I do want to go back to verse 22, where Paul starts talking about marriage. And I want to see if we can get the picture of submission and the picture of loving more fleshed out from these verses, where Paul is directly focused, not just on the marriage instructions, but on the gospel. And so look with me back in Ephesians 5, through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Oh, here we go again. Now we've heard that. But look how much more is here. As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So we see how this passage is the same as Colossians. Wives, submit to your husbands. But we also see that it is much more than just that simple statement from Colossians. And I want you to note the word as. A little two-letter word, as. It's in every verse right there on your screen. Wives, submit to your own husbands. As to the Lord. See, the gospel Connection is in view for Paul. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. The gospel connection is in view here. Do you see it? Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husband. The gospel is the flesh on the bone of the instruction. We're supposed to contemplate the church's response to Jesus 
and think about what significance that has for how wives relate to their husbands. Do you see it? And so my question for you, and this is especially to you ladies, what's there in those verses that can help you understand the concept of submitting better? What's there? I mean, do you see anything? I see seven things. And in good preacher fashion, I'm going to give it to you all with an alliteration, ladies. They're all going to start with R. Anytime a preacher does that, you know he's forcing something somewhere. But sometimes it's worth doing. And I hope I don't force things too badly. Wives, here's the question. What does submitting look like? And I'm going to give you seven answers just from these three verses. All right? First thing is reserving. Reserving. It says there, wives, submit to your own husbands. And that is in the Greek. Your own husbands. Wives, you are to reserve yourselves and your submission to your husband. Ladies, this should come as a big relief to you. You are not commanded to submit to every man. In fact, there's just one man that you really are commanded to submit to in your life. And you reserve yourself and your heart and your attitude and your disposition for him. It's your husband. And so, ladies, there's a kind of specialness that you have to apply to your husband here. You have to say, Lord, in all the earth, you have given me one man, my own husband, and you have called me to have the right response to him, the right submission to him. And so, Lord, I am going to reserve my very best, my, my very most, most responsive eagerness that I could have. I'm going to reserve it for my husband. And it's not going to go to anyone else like it goes to him. Now, of course, there's other situations where we're called to submit in life to governing authorities or, you know, to pastors in a church. But it's not like what God calls you to in your marriage, ladies. There's something exclusive there. You reserve yourself for your husband and your submission for him. Wives, what does submitting look like? Responding. Responding. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. As to the Lord. How is the church to submit to the Lord? Is it supposed to be begrudging and grumbling and doubtful? (laughs) Is that how the church is supposed to submit to Jesus Christ? No. It's supposed to be with eagerness. It's supposed to be with responsiveness. When the Lord, think about this, when the Lord initiates anything in our lives, his desires for our lives, his leading in our lives, his working in our lives, you can go on and on and on. We are to respond to whatever the Lord is doing with eagerness and excitement. We are to be responsive to our Lord as Christians. This is the same disposition a woman should have toward her husband. There should be an eager responsiveness there. 
And ladies, I'm going to tell you, this can go one of two ways in your home. If you will show your husband that you are eager to respond to his thoughts, his direction, his concerns, his principles, his passions, in a word, his initiative, then you will empower your husband to lead better and better and better in your home. But ladies, if you resist your husband and shut him down whenever he tries to initiate, and you know there's little subtle ways that that can happen, and then there's big flagrant ways that can happen, then you will gradually discourage your husband from trying to lead in your family. Do not take this lightly, ladies. God wants you to be responsive to your husband's initiative. I believe this is one of the biggest things that men want from their wives in marriage. Responsiveness. Ladies, men are not nearly as concerned about their wives being perfect as they are their wives being responsive. This applies to daily interactions, daily conversations, daily desires, moments where your husband steps up, steps out, is going to do something, and then you shoot him down. If you do that, you're going to discourage him. But if you respond to it, you say, yes, then you're going to encourage more. And it also, by the way, applies to big life directional moments. When there's really something on your husband's heart and it's serious in your home, there needs to be a kind of responsiveness to his leadership and his concerns and his desires, not belittling. And so that's the first two things, reserving and responding. Here's the next one. What does submission look like? Respecting. The husband is the head of the wife. Kephale, head, that's the Greek word for head. This clearly and directly speaks to the husband's authority in the home. We know that, by the way, because it says the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of his church. And so is Christ's headship over the church one that has authority? Obviously, that's the same kind of headship the man has in his home. Don't let any feminist interpreters interpret headship any other way. Clearly, it is a statement about the authority of the man in the home. And so what does that mean for a woman in the home? Submission. She needs to respect the authority of her husband. Again, the idea of belittling is completely out of place. Ladies, with authority comes responsibility, accountability, and listen, ladies, pressure. With authority comes pressure. A wife should not disregard what her husband is carrying on his shoulders. A wife should not make light of those things. And a wife certainly should not treat him as though he's incompetent, incapable, or unworthy of her respect. There is just a fundamental accountability and responsibility he has simply because of his position in your home. And it should carry your respect. And by the way, this is another thing that I just think men desire from their wives. So much more than a wife that's just perfect in every way. 
If they can have a wife that responds to them and respects them, you have a recipe for a very happy husband. (laughs) Wives, what does submitting look like? Reserving, responding, respecting, and receiving. Now, this is a big thought, and I've kind of summed it up with just the phrase, his body, but it's really a summary of all through this passage, that a wife is to receive from her husband in the same way that, think about this, the church receives from Christ. The church receives. What do we receive from Christ, church? I mean, everything, right? Think about how the head and the body works. You know, when you... Uh, want your hand to do something, your head tells it, and your hand just receives and responds, right? This ties in with responsiveness as well. And you, your body doesn't, doesn't fight against the head. The head makes a decision, your body follows. And then your body is nourished by the decisions of the head. We talked a little bit about this last week, how the head is the first thing in your body doing anything that's healthy, This is why, by the way, side note, people who have a hard time being healthy, it's first and foremost a head problem. It's first and foremost an understanding of yourself and decisions that you have to make. And you start start deciding to make healthy decisions, you'll be healthy. And in in the home, that's how it works when the husband is initiating and leading a healthy response is when there's just a a, a receptivity to that leadership. And I'm going to skip ahead for just a second to verses 26 and 27, which are really toward the man, but they speak to all the ways that the bride receives from Christ. And it, it further underlines the idea that when you're the body, you receive in so many ways from the head. And so look at Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. This is speaking of what Christ does for his bride that he might sanctify her. She receives that from him, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Look at everything that Christ does for his bride that she receives. That's a wonderful picture of the church. And it's all because she's receiving from her covenant head. Wives, what does submitting look like? Number five, rejoicing. Rejoicing. It says that Christ is himself the church's savior. Now, Christian, is that something to celebrate? Are you happy that Jesus is your savior? Are you happy that he's done what he's done to win you and receive you into his kingdom and into his family and to make you part of his bride? Absolutely. Well, in the same way, I believe part of what submission means is a woman has a heart that rejoices in her husband. She rejoices that he has married her, that he has taken whatever initiative he has taken, and that they are bound together. She celebrates her husband. 1 Peter 1.8 says this about our relationship to Christ. It's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Now, wives, this is the attitude the church should have toward our Savior who is unseen. 
It's also the attitude you should have toward your husband who is seen. God has given you a husband. Remember how you prayed for a husband? God has given you a husband. Rejoice in who he has given you. Wives, what does submitting look like? Number six, representing. I get this from where it says, as the church submits to Christ. So ladies, remember that your role as a wife is a representative role. You are representing the church. You're responding, you're respecting, you're receiving all the things I've been saying from your husband. All these areas of submission should be a reflection of how the church properly submits to Christ. You're always representing the church, ladies. And by the way, I think this is also helpful because it does provide parameters for how all these things are to be understood. Ladies, since you're always representing the church, you should obviously not submit in areas where potentially your husband might be leading you astray because you ultimately are representing the church here. You're, uh, you are representing a right kind of obedience to the Lord. And so you should never walk in sin. You should always be safe from that. But even in areas where your husband might be leading you astray and you fear that he is, you can still have the right kind of heart toward him as you seek to represent the church in everything you do. And so representing is a very important function. And then here's my last word for you, ladies. Resting. Resting. And I get that from the phrase, in everything. Ladies, doesn't that just kill you that that's in there? So also, a wife should submit to her husband in everything. I mean, isn't that like, and you know, here's what you'll be, if you're tempted, if you read that in the flesh, ladies, here's what that statement will do to you. It'll make you unrestful. But here's what that statement should do for you, ladies. It should make you restful. Here's where restlessness comes from. Restlessness comes from not being fully surrendered. Think about our relationship with Jesus Christ. What makes a person topsy-turvy and restless in their relationship with Jesus Christ? They're not fully surrendered. Every day it's a decision. Oh, am I going to follow Jesus in this area? Or no, I'm going to do it this way. And it seems like there's no peace in that person's life because there is no just resting in full surrender. And we just, just finished on Wednesday night the story of Job. And think about how Job, for so much of that book, is not resting underneath the authority of the Lord. And he's kind of writhing underneath the things that are happening in his life. And finally, at the end, he gets the right picture of the Lord's authority in his life. And he comes to a place of rest. Lord, you can do all things. And, and there's a kind of application there for ladies. Ladies, if you are viewing your husband and you're always kind of saying, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to submit here, here, here. Oh, he said this or he thinks this or he feels this. And I'm just going to always be sizing up whether or not submission is a good idea. You will not be at rest. You will be a miserable woman. But if you just say, Lord, you have given me my husband and you've called me to have an overarching attitude of submission in my home. And I received that. So now I'm not going to fight it and I will be at rest. So ladies, I think there's a lot here in three verses for you that fills out the flesh on the bone of submission. 
reserving, responding, respecting, receiving, rejoicing, representing, and resting. But of course, there's a section here for the men. So I'm going to take a few minutes to go through this as well. Now for the men, we have six more verses I'm going to look at. And I have 10 things for the men. I'm going to try to go fast. You can't give seven to the ladies and give less to the men. You got to give more to the men, right? And even Paul here, he gives three verses to the ladies and he spends a lot more verses on the men, right? And don't worry, it's not going to all be alliteration because that would really have been forcing it. So what I did was I came up with pairs of alliterations, okay? And so let's read it and then I'll go through it and then we'll be done. Husbands, love your wives. There's the command from Colossians. But now look at all the flesh on the bone. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So I'm going to ask the question similar to how I asked the ladies. I said, wives, what does submitting look like? Well, now men, husbands. What does loving look like? And ladies, don't take for granted that the men, um, because all you ladies are like, why do you even need this explained, right? You should know what loving looks like. Well, yes, you're right, but guys, we need it spelled out for us, right? Right? And so there's a lot here, and it's all gospel-focused. Notice, and when I just read, as, 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 as the church, as Christ. This is gospel-focused. And so here's my first insight, prioritizing. Husbands, love your wives. You prioritize her. She gets the focus of your life. She is your priority every single day. You love your wife. There should be no doubt in her mind that she gets your best and that your heart is hers. Should be no doubt, men. You love your wife. Don't get distracted with looking around at other women. God has given you your wife. Men, this is one of the things that a woman wants from her husband more than anything. To know that she is his number one, and it's absolutely without question. That he is totally committed to her, and her heart can trust in his commitment. That she has his heart like no one else. Husbands, you love your wife. You prioritize her. She is the most important person in your life. She's the most important thing in your life. More important than work more important than church, even more important than the children. You prioritize your wife. You got it, man? Second thing, what does loving look like? Pursuing. 
as Christ loved the church. Now consider how Christ has loved the church. Consider what he had to do. When I was even talking about Genesis 2.24, I talked about how he left his heavenly home and he came on a mission from his father. He came in pursuit of us, church. We were not pursuing him. We, like sheep, had gone astray. Each of us had turned his own way and Christ came in pursuit of his bride. And men, you were designed for pursuit. God has created you to pursue your wife, to be the initiator. And God created her to be pursued. Just like you men are wired to initiate and enjoy her responsiveness, she is wired to wait for your initiative and then enjoy responding. But you have to pursue your wife and show her that she's worth hunting for, that she's worth going on a mission for, she's worth bleeding for because you love her that much. And then watch the responsiveness that she'll give you if you pursue her in that way. As Christ loved the church, do you hear the gospel? Do you hear all the flesh that's on that bone? I could preach for an hour on this one point, and you know I could. Husbands, what does loving look like? Prioritizing, pursuing. Okay, here's our next. Sacrificing. And gave himself for her. How did Christ give himself for his church? He died on the cross for her. He died on the cross. And men, don't don't simplify this question to be, well, I'd die for my wife if I had to. No, the question is not, would you lay down for your wife if one day she needed you to for her own safety? That is such a simplification of what this is. The question is, are you laying down your life for your wife every single day? That's the question, because she needs it every day from you. She needs your sacrificial, life-laying down, selfless love every day in her life. I hope you would physically lay down your life for her if you had to. Any man who wouldn't is an absolute coward. But the real question is, are you doing it every day? That's what it means to love your wife. What does loving look like? It's sacrificing and it's also sanctifying. That he might sanctify her. Now, to sanctify means to make holy, to set apart for oneself. Now, on an ultimate level, only Christ can sanctify your wife, men. I mean, only Christ can truly make someone holy. But I want to give you two thoughts related to this because there's a parallel and a connection for you to embrace. First thought is, men, you have a huge role to play in Christ's sanctification of your wife. He wants to use you as an instrument in the life of your wife to help her grow and being set apart and holy for him. Man, there are times when your wife will need you to bring things to her attention, to to point her to the word, to help her get back up 
and continue to serve the Lord. And the Lord wants you to be the primary instrument in her life. In terms of human relationships, a man is the number one person who can help in the sanctification of his wife. Isn't that just flagrantly true, by the way? I mean, ladies, uh, if you married a godly man, how many ways has he helped you grow in Christ? That's how it should be. The second thing on this is, men, you can treat your wife like she is set apart and truly special to you, like she is holy unto you in a good way, like where you treasure her. And you say, you know, Christ sanctifies his bride, sets her apart as special. So I'm going to do that with my wife. And that's the attitude I'm going to take toward her. And in that, you'll be loving your wife just like Christ loves his church. What, is, what does loving your life look your, I'm sorry, what does loving your wife, I'm sorry, what does loving look like? I can't read. Fifth thing, purifying. Having cleansed her, it says in verse 26. Christ cleanses his bride. Now, this is related to sanctifying. Sanctifying is being set apart. If you are set apart, then it's very important for you to be cleansed, for you to be clean. And Christ, again, is the only one who can ultimately cleanse anyone. And men, Christ is the one who must cleanse your wife and purify her from sin, right? But again, God wants to use you. And there will be times, men, when your wife needs you to point her to to what is right, And help her stay on track. And there may even be times when you need to point something out to your wife. Of course, it can go the other way too. And I'm not saying that a a wife can never lovingly point something out to her husband. But men, you have a role here. If your wife needs something, there's something not right in her heart, something sinful there, you have a responsibility to help her with that in a loving way. Sanctifying and purifying. What's next? Proclaiming. Man, you have to have this. You have to have this role. If you want to love your wife, Jesus has it toward the church. He sanctifies and cleanses by the washing of the word. Christ is a preacher. Christ came proclaiming to us the gospel. Christ is the word made flesh. And men, if you're going to be an adequate pastor, shepherd in your home, a leader for your wife, You have to have a proclamation ministry over the the life of your wife. Now, I don't mean, Sonny, sit down. I'm going to lecture you. That's obviously not what I'm saying, right? What am I saying? I'm saying, men, you should be the leaders of bringing out the word of God, of explaining the word of God, of making sure your your family is sound in doctrine, making sure your, your family is sound in conviction. And there's times, and please forgive the stereotyping here, but there's times when ladies will tend to be too emotional. Is that okay that I said that? (laughs) And they need their husband to say, sweetie, God's word gives us God. This doesn't have to be an emotional decision. There's clarity here in God's word. And there's a proclaiming ministry there. And it's loving. It's obviously all kept in balance to where it's not cruel lecturing or belittling, nothing like that, but a proper kind of conviction 
that comes from God's word. And of course, there's all the ways that a man should lead his family in church and after the word of God that's all baked into this. Proclaiming. What's the next thing? What does loving look like? Desiring. That he might present the church to himself. Guys, there is something in the gospel for Jesus. Jesus came and he laid his life down for the church. He is selfless in every way. And yet, he's doing it all so that in the end, he gets a wonderful bride who loves him forever. That's what Jesus gets out of the gospel. He wants the church presented to himself. That means he desires the church. Christian, Jesus desires you. He wants you forever in his kingdom, singing his praises, loving him, right? And so, listen, men, there is nothing wrong with loving your wife in such a way that you get a more faithful, wonderful, happy wife. That's a good motive, men. And you desire her to be more happy and more joyful and more fulfilled because then she can be a better wife for you to enjoy. That's what Jesus is doing. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not selfish. It's right. In fact, it's twisted if you don't want that from your wife. It's twisted if you say, I don't really care about having a wife that's happy and healthy and our home is just this reciprocating kind of joy. I don't care about that. That's twisted. But if you really care, you will see, man, there is something desirable here. There's there's something there and there's something that can even grow and be better. And so I love my wife in that way. Husbands, what does loving look like? (laughs) This is my word. (laughs) Doxifying. I made this one up. (laughs) It says in splendor. Literally, the Greek is in doxos. In glory. Literally, it's a compound word that means in glory. Glory. And so Christ wants to present his bride in glory. And the Greek word behind this is doxa, like our, we, our word doxology. Do you glorify God, right? And what I'm, what I'm at after here is the idea that men, you in your loving of your wife, she is becoming more and more and more radiant and beautiful as a person. And if you're loving your wife in that way, that says a lot about how you are as a man. Because Jesus loves his bride that way. And his bride is becoming more and more lovely, and one day his bride will be in full glory. And so, man, your love for your wife should be such that she is becoming more and more radiant and beautiful. You know, men, how your wife beams as a person, how she shines, says a lot about you. Uh, There's a song, I think it was a super popular song, but I heard it a long time ago. I've always loved it by a country group called Heartland. I think maybe Neil McCoy did a version of this too. Listen to what he says. Some judge a man by the way he shakes a hand. 
And if he looks a man in the eyes, by the way he treats his tools, the way he treats a fool, and the things that he can buy, his shoes and how they shine. I judge a man by the woman. Do you hear that? I judge a man by the woman and her smile, the light in her eyes, the way she holds him when they dance. She's the window to his soul, his best friend. Don't you know, you judge the day by the sun, but you judge a man by the woman. Now, what is that song saying? That song is saying that if a man is loving his wife the right way, she should be radiant. There should be a kind of character to their relationship that is overwhelmingly positive. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to have down days. I mean, if we put that on men, (laughs) that your wife can never have a down day or you're a bad husband, that's not reasonable, right? But the question is, what is the overwhelming trajectory of the relationship? What is the character quality of that? And does your wife beam and radiate? Is she happy in marriage? Is she growing as a person? Do you see that? And so that's doxifying. You're making your wife more and more splendid as a person, glorious. That's that's what this is about. I actually had a lot more on that, and I'm going to move forward. Two more. What does loving look like? Connecting. As their own bodies, it says as their own bodies. There's a lot here. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh. So the whole connection here with the wife. And so men, you need to always remember that you are one flesh with your wife. And your relationship with her needs to be one of connecting with her and not disconnecting. And remembering that she and you are together all the way. Connecting. Love your wife like she's connected to you, like your right arm is connected to you. Because she's that connected to you. In fact, it would be better, men, to lose your right arm than to lose your wife. It would be, by the way, less painful to lose your right arm than to lose your wife. And so love her in that connection that she so longs for from you because she is one flesh with you. And here's the last thing. Husbands, what does it look like to love your wife? Caring. It's a pretty simple word, isn't it? No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Caring. You care for your wife. You nourish her. You meet her needs. You provide for her. And you cherish her as the wonderful woman that she is. And after all, she married you. That's pretty incredible. So care for her. Don't become uncaring. Don't hate your own flesh. Doesn't even make sense doesn't make sense to go hold your hand in the fire. Well, don't put your wife through the fire. Care for her. And so husbands, what does loving look like? Pretty good 
flesh on the bone. Prioritizing, pursuing, sacrificing, sanctifying, purifying, proclaiming, desiring, doxifying, connecting, and caring. You go do that. Ladies, you do your seven R's. Where were they in my notes here? Reserving, responding, respecting, receiving, rejoicing, representing, resting. You do that. And I promise you, you will have a healthy, happy home. And God will get the glory from your home. May the gospel of Christ winning his bride and her happy response to his headship be the flesh that beautifies the bones of submission and love in our homes. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope you'll come again to follow the word with us. If you would like to learn more about the gospel of Jesus Christ, please visit our website at universitybaptist.us. If you would like to support this ministry, visit the resources tab. May God bless you as you seek to follow him.